0: to a- another episode of the podcast that has as yet no name, although we have been receiving some interesting uh, recommendations uh, for names, uh, so please do keep them coming. Um, it's always helpful to have your thoughts on that matter. Uh, we've had a few, haven't we? Um, I'm joined by Aaron Edwards, Andy Bannister, and myself, Mike Lotz. Can I be joined by myself? I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, we're <laughs> okay. together. And Andy, have we had any suggestions in the last week? Yeah, well, I think there was
1: uh, quite a bit of debate around. We were suggesting, I think, kind of three men in a podcast, which I think probably was the most popular from the ones we uh, suggested. Uh, somebody suggested, uh, what on earth am I listening to, which I thought was fair enough. I mean, I can imagine <laughs> driving down the road in the car and iTunes shuffles this onto the onto the bottom of player. You probably are wondering what is going on. And then the other one I quite liked, somebody suggested Church church Podmatics. Church Dogmatics, bath, <laughs> Barth, Bart, Church Podmatics. Probably just too clever for those who are not systematic theologians or church historians are going to go, huh? But I did think it was clever. Ten out of ten for this. Yeah.
0: Aaron, did you think that was clever?
2: <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I think. Interestingly, we had uh, I had a similar one, perhaps even more obscure. Was a was one that was a riff on a Bart book. There's a one in a Kierkegaard book, which was concluding unscientific pod, podcast, which was interesting, oh, yeah. based on an obscure Kierkegaard book um, called "Concluding Unscientific Postscript." um but again i don't know if we want to are, are we reaching too high for our listenership uh if we go in with sort of obscure intellectual puns uh from the get-go we also had what else do we have brand new testament um and god pod so that's already been taken oh, god pod someone suggested yeah. which i
1: thought was
0: again clever that's clever, it. but yeah. um yeah. Very good, very good. So, um, so yeah. So keep the suggestions coming. Um, we were considering whether we should have like a kind of open vote and just put this in the power of the people. Um, we were a bit worried that we might get Poddy McPodcast uh, nominated and then we'd have to stick with it. Or Don't we would give
2: them any to... ideas, Michael.
0: Oh, well, there you go. So, um, yeah. Anyway, all answers on the back of a postcode postcard even Uh, for any of us if you happen to know our addresses um, which we're not going to supply. But anyway uh, enough of the title Um, time to jump into today's topic and today we're going to be thinking about how the church interacts with our culture. Um, We were thinking last week about the church and the state um, and this kind of feeds on quite nicely after that and how Christians um, individually and the church corporately uh, responds to the culture in which we're in. Obviously we're all living in the UK and we're responding to the culture that is here and um, so Andy do you want to kick us off and what are some of the different ways that you see maybe some of the unhelpful ways that the church can respond to culture yeah well being a sort of you
1: know sort of dour pessimistic chap I like to you know thank you for passing to me the negative ways but I think you know it's interesting um Michael I've often thought about if you think of sort of um you know, the sort of church is walking along the, the apex of a roof and there are sle- two slopes going either way. And I think there are two sort of directions the church can fall off when it comes uh, to culture, because trying to engage the culture is walking that, that narrow line, that narrow path. One way, of course, is you can completely ignore the culture. You can completely disengage you can carry on doing what you've done for 100, 200 years. You cannot bother, you know, really looking at what the issues are and so on and so forth. And you can do that in different ways. I mean, I'm an, a, an evangelist and an apologist, You bet, like you are too, Michael. And I think, you know, one of the ways I see this sometimes is I'm often asked to come and do events, like open forums and things. And I'll, so I'll say to the inviting group, great, what, what question, what topic should I address for you folks in that event that you can invite your friends to? And it's sometimes interesting or sometimes get things like, well, let's do does does God exist? Uh, often in that accent, in fact, because you can do accents in <laughs> you know. email. And um and I always write back and go, that's very interesting, but just out of interest, is that the question people are asking? Because I think it was the question people might have been asking 50, 60 years ago. Now I think people are asking slightly different mm-hmm. questions. And sometimes, you know, you get the sense that the person you're talking to hasn't actually talked to many non-Christians open a newspaper, see what's current on Netflix or whatever. So I think we can certainly as Christians completely ignore the culture. Uh, that's one dangerous direction because, I mean, it means that we don't engage well. And whilst the gospel never changes, certainly Christ's ambassadors need to be willing to change how and adapt how we engage in the same way that we see that in the New Testament, um, as Paul and the other as others went on their missionary journeys and so forth. But then the other side, I think, is to get absorbed by the culture. And simply to sort of, you know, just, you know, roll over and, and die. And, you know, anytime the, the culture pushes back on anything Christian, we just go, oh, yeah, I'm terribly sorry. Let's just change everything we believed to fit right in. And, you know, there are lots of places we might point to this. But I think one example, Michael, has been around, say, sexuality. Where I think some in some branches of the church, and I'm very gen- trying to be generous in how I, I talk about people. But, you know, there are certain wings of the church that seem to have things like on human sexuality, taken the view of going, if we just agree with everything the culture says, we just throw everything that Christians have traditionally believed out the window. We reinterpret our Bibles accordingly. Then everyone will like us and, uh, and, and the churches will be full. And ironically, what's actually happened is neither of those things have happened. All you've ended up doing is causing huge divisions inside the Christian community and non-Christians don't come anyway. Because why would you come to a church that looks exactly like the culture? Why not just stay in the culture? And so I think it's those two challenges, absorbing and getting sucked into the culture uh, and uh, the other way, you know, completely ignoring it. And I remember actually one of my old theology profs years ago, and I don't think it was original to him. But I used to say, look, the task of the church is to be culturally engaged, um, but morally distinct. Problem is, yeah. too, in too many parts of the church, we have become morally similar and culturally unengaged. And, oh. uh, and we <coughs> wonder why no one's listening.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, turning to you, like, wh- I guess thinking theologically about that, where, as Christians, why is ignoring culture a bad thing to do? And kind of just disengaging? And at the same time, I guess, like Andy's saying, it's also unhelpful just to kind of go along with it and to be, you know, formed by it. Um, How would you kind of reflect on that theologically?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Because Andy's weren't, his weren't theological reflections, of course, uh, at
0: all. No, of course. Um, I I, I went to him. Absolutely. And he's not Scottish, but yeah, I just thought, you know, he's in Scotland, so I went for the Dower start. (laughs) That's right. Scottish Scottish pessimism. That's right. I'm not going to say a word. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um yeah, um well, I, I you know I, th- I think theologically speaking, um if if we it's not really possible, it's not theologically possible for the church to um be the church on mission in the world and to disengage culture. It's a it's kind of a theological impossibility because mm-hmm. if you are here on earth, you're engaging with the things of this earth you're engaging with the people of this earth. So although the church is always called out, it's called out of Egypt, as it were, and that metaphor of exodus from the ways of the world that doesn't isn't just about you know Israel being its own people, but it extends to the church um, in its distinctness to the world. And so we're called to be a city on a hill, um, which looks different to the world. But, but in doing so, Jesus calls us to that in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think the church, as Andy was saying, too little reflects that in in how um, it presents itself especially in the western world um, these days because of you know again as andy mentioned the the sort of desperation to try to impress to try and show that we are up with culture ironically we end up pandering to culture um too much but equally um so, so we so we lose that sense of the um of the distinctness, the radical distinctness that the church is called to have. It's supposed to be an alternative community, a different kind of people running on a different kind of oil, as it were, literally, because it's running on the, on the Holy Spirit. And there's something completely different about, about how the church functions. And yet, um, churches over the years, obviously have, have taken that line exclusively to the extent where they will ignore the culture around them. But that's where I, I started talking about this impossibility. You can't really do that. So you, you can't actually cut the church, the church off and pretend you're not culturally engaged. You are always culturally engaged. You just may be badly culturally engaged. You may be doing so in a way that's uh, less faithful or less engaged with what people actually care about. But you're always dealing with culture. It might be an older form of culture. It might be a Christian form of culture. But culture just means human making. It's the stuff that people do. And it's the stuff that um, uh, yeah the, the, that makes people tick and then the world go around. It's the stuff that we create And we're all immersed in it in different kinds of ways. Um, So we can't really pretend that we're totally absent um, from culture in in any way. Like, you know, as as though we're we're sort of levitating um, six feet off the ground or something. (laughs) We're actually engaged. You know, we are on a hill, maybe, but we are um, actually rooted here. And so that rootedness is really key. And I think it's something that we... Have um have got i have got to hold that that intention, the kind of distinctness as well as the rootedness. Mm. Uh, but as all the stuff Andy's mentioned, I I agree with in terms of how we go about that in our um you know in our walk today, especially as the church in the West, mm. because it's it's uh, the challenges that face uh, the church are huge, and the way we respond to them is is really key. Yeah. I, I think I'm a little bit concerned about the ways in which we are overly impressed. With any celebrity saying anything about God, that usually makes the front pages of of the Christian newspapers, um, and it's a bit embarrassing. Just kind of after a while, just kind of okay. It's not. It's not like we have to be this sort of, um, you know, pandering after any kind of attention or, or affection. God doesn't need that kind of adulation. That we're his kind of salesman or something. You know,
0: it's like yes, we're all going to believe now because so and so has just mentioned God in passing in an interview <laughs> the other day, I swear. and. Yeah. As if it's now cool. You know, we're going to, you know, this is obviously credible because so-and-so has mentioned (laughs) Going back to what Andy mentioned before though, it's interesting. You talked about these two kind of um, uh, sides of the roof that we could fall off. The um, kind of burying our head in the sand and ignoring the culture we're in as if it wasn't there um, and then getting absorbed and swept along with it without critically thinking about it. I guess, Maybe if we're in a bungalow, I don't know what kind of. If you can have another roof to the house, is there another danger that sometimes uh, Christians can respond to it by simply becoming reactionary? Um, So we look at culture and we almost we find Mm. out we are as Christians whatever the opposite of culture is. So it's not that we're being led by Scripture; it's just we're being led by opposing whatever the current Mm. trends of culture are. Do you think there's a possibility in that?
1: Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is that's another, another antithesis, if you like, the pairing, isn't it? Because to go on the one hand, you know, culture comes along, says something, does something, there's a trend. And, again, we either have the temptation for some of us to kind of just fit in and go along with it, and just get swept along. And as somebody once said, of course, only, um, only dead things go with the current. Um, kind of live things swim against it. And, um, and then, on the other hand, to get very, very shouty and very, very angry. I remember actually that that came out a few years ago now, and it's interesting looking back at it because the cultures, the cultures kind of moved on. The church may may still be talking about this, um, but the culture's kind of moved on. You take perhaps the discussion around, say, gay marriage. Mm-hmm. I think you saw both those sure. mm-hmm. those trends. You saw part of the church like, oh yeah, we'll just go along with this. We won't look at scripture. We won't ask any kind of theological questions. We won't, certainly mm-hmm. won't ask any ontological questions like what is marriage? We'll just go, well, hey, yeah, that's where the culture is going. Let's uh, let's run after. And then I think. Other Christians I saw, and not all on the other side of the debate, were like gotten very angry and very shouty and quite and quite reactionary. And it occurred to me looking at that, you know, that I wonder, Michael, whether whether the same emotion was in play in both cases, namely fear. If you're afraid Mm -hmm. of the culture, that fear can make you sort of kind of curl up and and just like not and roll over and go, okay, please don't hurt me. I'll just I'll I'll sign anything. I'll uh, I'll stick a (laughs) rainbow flag anywhere you like within reason um and uh so i don't get like you just bulldozed but on the other hand fear can equally cause us to get the kind of fight or flight reaction right you then sort of you know puff yourself up and get very shouty and i mm-hmm. think you're right you know increasingly in that debate i remember thinking is there not a jesus way because what intrigued me about jesus he didn't morally compromise he didn't go oh yeah i'll just go along with whatever but he also He also appealed to the sinners and the outcasts and those who were, you know, considered by the the religious elite to be beyond the pale. And he somehow managed to walk that line between between in in terms of being deeply attractive and engaging, but not morally compromising one one dot, one iota. Um, Yet in the church, we seem to unplug that tension. We either compromise in many parts of the church or we get very angry. Turn people off, and I just wonder whether there's a third way. I know third way sounds horribly Tony Blair. Uh, we Christians owned it <laughs> before he got his hands on it. That's all I can say.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And we know uh, what you know, we know, Andy's got previous with Tony Blair, of course, so we won't go down that route. Well,
1: yeah, I'd say we shared the
2: That's same hole. lavatory
0: for those who watched
1: the <clears throat> listen to the previous. No, that we didn't share the same lavatory. I, yes, I, I used the same porcelain as Tony uh, a wee while afterwards, but I, yeah, I, 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 I. Have I, I? I haven't yet stuck a blue plaque on my bottom, though. So, you know, I think we need to do that
2: by appointment to the former prime minister.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was a wee while afterwards. A wee That's while right. afterwards. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Moving swiftly on. So, t- t- take a different kind of issue. We've, we've talked about kind of how maybe the church responds to um, issues around LGBTQ, LGBTQI, dot 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 at the same time taking a another issue and uh, kind of maybe the church's response to what's happened in the last year in terms of of covid and and the restrictions that have come about by covid because it strikes me that those kind of two reactions can be in play can't they so are those that go along with kind of almost becoming i think sometimes the criticism of of uh, particularly some church leaders has been that they're just kind of parroting public health advice um tom holland's um the historians basically saying, you know, if I want public health advice, I'll go and get a public health official. I don't need the church simply to kind of repeat that as if, you know, there is nothing more to be said about how to love my neighbour other than wearing a mask. But then you kind of get the other kind of extreme, which is, you know, we're very suspicious about everything and we potentially see kind of conspiracies under everything. And so we kind of almost take our identity in that. Um is that another way that we kind of see this kind of reaction? And I guess how do we how do we make sure we don't fall into those categories? How do we kind of think critically about what's going on as Christians in these areas? Hmm. Aaron, do you want to give yeah. us some thoughts? Yeah, that's a good.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll jump in. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of related. Obviously, it's related to some of the concerns um, that, that Andy has been talking about before as well. In the, in the sense, you know, the sexuality stuff, for example. Though, though it's a particular issue, maybe we can. Talk about that more in depth at some other uh venture. But the way in which the church has responded to previous challenges, it does something to its own culture, the culture of the church. How do we how do we respond to the um things that come our way um that, that ask questions of the church or ask questions of its um legitimacy in a democratic, um enlightened society? So we've been so used to apologizing for our beliefs for so many years that we've lost the kind of teeth to be able to bite back uh, or, or the kind of the, the voice to be able to speak back with any kind of authority. Um, so even when people do hold more conservative views on various issues like sexuality or gender or other things, it's usually prefaced with you know an abundance of caveats about why they're so, so sorry that they have to believe this thing, but they have to because they have to sort of believe the Bible and God said it sort of in the policy document and can't really get away from it. Rather than sort of embracing... Giving a, a bigger, fuller vision um, in their proclamation of of who God is and how He's created humanity and how He's redeemed humanity, uh, uh, you know, the sense of the gospel speaking into every sphere of life. We don't tend to do that. We tend to apologize for these little bits here and there and say, but it's not so bad. We're well, not so bad as you think. Let us apologize enough. And we technically have to still hold this view. Mm. And then eventually we'll, we'll, we might have a little conversation. And then those, mm. those you know, perspectives end up really eroding over time. Anyway, you get another generation who then goes a bit further, a bit further. So uh, the way we are too used to apologizing. And for that reason, uh, when it comes to things like the COVID restrictions, it was no surprise at all that the church had no real backbone in, in how to respond to those things. And I don't just mean, um, that we are, I, I just you know want the churches to have responded by saying no we we will not follow anything I mean we discussed that last week with uh, uh, the church and state discussion that obviously there there are lots of important reasons for obeying government regulations and for helping people and loving your neighbor and all the rest of it so we 're not trying to just jump into defiance um outright but it's just saying we need to have mm. we need to have some um some sense of backbone in order to say no, so that we could, if we do say yes, then actually it's a bit more of a qualified yes. It's a yes that is actually informed and is done in faith rather than simply in fear. And I think that's possibly the, the greatest danger that I see, that we are, um, and probably leads to those sorts of unhelpful reactions on the other side, Michael, that you're talking about. So of course people get angry and they go to conspiracy theories and all sorts of other um, things and start questioning everything. That's partly because they're just so used to seeing a very banal perspective, which almost just goes along with with everything, always seems to have the nice, sensible answer to everything, and nothing ever really changes, nothing is ever challenged, until suddenly you realise, oh, every, everyone believes things that are completely different to like fundamental Christian belief. Well, that's happened over time, gradually eroding away. Um, and so if we don't fight in all these issues, then we're not going to... Uh, um be able to kind of last on the ones that um you know that come our way. I think Luther there's that famous quote from Martin Luther, isn't there? That if you if you defend the gospel at every point except the very point that it's being attacked in its own mm-hmm. generation, in your own generation, then you're not def- you're denying the gospel, you're not defending mm-hmm. it. Because that's just there's
1: also isn't there something as well, sorry to kind of interrupt. No. It just occurred to me as you were as you were <coughs> talking um A Aaron there that um you know, come back to that, that verse that often Christians go to when we think about, you know, Jesus and culture. Of course, Jesus used that metaphor of salt and light.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess, I mean, salt has a kind of preservative effect. If salt is exact, looks exactly the same as the thing around it, it, it ain't going to work. as uh, preser- You know, in the ancient world, it was a preservative. And of course, light, you know, if light doesn't stand out from the darkness around it. It mm. simply goes, you know what, I don't want to embarrass the darkness or cause any controversy, so I'll just be the same, you know, kind of luminescence as the background. Mm. It's going to be frickle use, to use the technical theological term. And um, and so there's a kind of salt and light component. Um, although interesting, isn't it? I think it's in, in, in Matthew's gospel, of course, where Jesus says that. It's fascinating because when, when Jesus talks about, you know, if the salt becomes kind of useless oh, yeah. or worthless, it's only fit to be thrown out. And of course, the fun thing is, if you know any Greek, the, the you know the term for useless there in the Greek is the Greek word "moron," um, which a friend of Michael and I used to always do that. that pretty, you know, Michael's old preaching joke used to be that uh, uh, not your, you, not you, Michael, the other Michael used to sort of go. This you know, the Greek word "moron," which is translated into English as "moron," which means, of course, "moron." <laughs> and uh, so Jesus is pretty direct uh, that if yeah. you cease to be salt, uh, you are, but you've become moronic. Um, in the in a sense, you absorb something from the culture. The, the culture has corrupted you rather than preserved you. And that's quite a challenge, actually, because I think yeah. when you start asking about the culture and how much has affected us, that's quite a sobering question to think about. Because I think even those of us who like to think, "Oh yeah, I was sophisticated man. We read philosophy, and you know, I'm a theologian," or you know, I, I, I you know, I, I read the Daily Telegraph or something. To go to actually stop and as Christians and go, but how much do we look similar? to the culture you know somebody coming in from outside our culture would they go oh gosh those christians over there really stand out Mm -hmm. would they go oh wow they look quite similar actually Mm -hmm. in so many of our attitudes to money Mm -hmm. to entertainment to various other things it's it's quite a sobering Mm -hmm. question you know i'm not sitting here going man i've got it right if anything i find this question quite challenging actually Mm -hmm. to think about personally
2: and this on the other flip side of that andy i'd say that you know, in in the, in the element of being salt and light, in in trying to look different whilst having something unique to say or some teeth, as it were, I think it's also Christianly appropriate to look like the world sometimes, and it depends on what we're talking about. So when I when I, I became a Christian when I was a, a teenager. And um, really quite unexpectedly, I was a very reluctant convert. Um, and I'll tell the whole testimony in, in a double length episode sometime. It takes a long time. Um, but uh, the Christians that I met as a teenager, I was shocked by how normal they were, but also abnormal. I could see the paradox of normality in that they liked football and music and things. They liked the things that are good in this world. Um, and they weren't sort of cut off from all of that stuff they weren't saying oh no we only really listen to christian music or something like this they were like inv- they liked the stuff that i liked mostly mm-hmm. um and they bantered around and joked but they also would then pray for each other and they'd show affirmation encouragement to each other that i'd never seen from any anyone else um from other t- fellow teenagers mm-hmm. um, who are not the most always the most expressive at showing love to one another um and i just saw this amazing sense of that contrast so i was really surprised by it and i didn't know what to do with it and i think that's really important we we ought to be surprising people more than we do with the fact that we're rooted in this world um mm. and yet we're very different and you can't just say oh yeah you're just just like us because you have tvs and you listen to you know you listen to a wonderful podcast without proper names and things like that just like everyone <laughs> else um but you know it's not it's not just those trappings but the danger as andy's saying is the trappings can sometimes eventually erode that difference so we, but we must hold on to that biblical
0: contrast of both as, as jesus had salt mm-hmm. and light together yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting reflecting back i remember when i was a young christian um the uh, adage was always you know be in the world but not of the world <laughs> in other words be engaged and connected but um but be distinct and different to shine mm-hmm. out to be salt and light and uh it was reflecting back on that I was thinking actually how often we turn those things inside out um so actually mm-hmm. we can become very much just like the world in terms of our values in terms of our worldview um but actually we're very disconnected living in our little Christian huddles um mm-hmm. disconnected from from the wider world and so we actually turn it completely on its head i guess one of the things um to pick up on this in terms of culture is we can talk about culture as in as if there's just kind of one culture out there that we're in uh, but actually obviously we're very aware that there are culture wars going on um and certainly if you look in terms of a lot of the kind of debates within culture politically kind of left and right and uh stuff that's going on there so we can't just kind of say there is this one culture that's kind of outside the church and then and then we as christians are interacting with it and i guess one of the challenges how do we interact with some of those cultural debates that we see uh, in our society um one of the dangers is that we end up kind of taking one side over the other um so we kind of christianize the guardian or we christianize the spectator or the daily telegraph and and we assume that this is kind of the epitome of of the christian faith i guess one of the unique things about christianity is that there'll be times when i'll be reading a left-wing view and i'll say that really resonates as a christian there'll be times when that really disagree yeah i'll disagree with that and the same you know with a, a right-wing kind of opinion so how do we kind of interact with these kind of cultural debates without um just trying to christianize one side or the other um, and speaking to that any thoughts on that mm. For those You're not watching on video, um, right there, this is the great um, thing about, just scratching yes, his For his those of you, throat. those of you listening at
1: home, I know we've got video here. So I was thought Aaron was going to say something very wise, and he just scratched his beard and looked thoughtful and sort of nod. I can say something yeah. unwise if you like. <laughs> yes. Um, where was I? I was. I was going to say something really profound then, and you just kind of threw that in, and I've, it's gone now. So I'm going to come up with some <laughs> terrible joke. Um, I mean, just one thing to start with and I'll I will pass it to my esteemed colleague in Derbyshire. But um is that I, I think as you say there, Mike, we do have a tendency don't we we can have a tendency to take our own our own favoured positions and just sort of backfill them theologically. So, you know, as you say, if you read The Guardian, you tend to have one set of views. Read The Telegraph, you have another set of views. If you're a Democrat, you have one set of views. Republican, you have another. And then you just go, okay, I'm not going to go mining the scriptures to kind of theologically justify and then try and pretend that I came at that neutrally. And I think that's a problem. And I think one solution to that, it's not the only solution, one solution to that, is to make sure you have friends across the political spectrum i think this is actually something that christians can contribute to culture because there are not many spaces or there are increasingly few spaces where people who have very different backgrounds can mix and meet and interact in a way that's kind of friendly and engaging those are those are becoming fewer and fewer and fewer and i wonder if there's a real space for the church in some of this in culture to go no we are going to be if one's want a better way to save space we are going to be places that proactively try and bring different sides together and if in, in the church itself if the church is functioning as the church you know i think it was tim keller who once sort of said you know if you look along the pew or, or the road seats on a sunday morning or around the zoom call to contextualize it today's covid situation and there are not people in your congregation who would be your mortal enemies were you not yeah. brothers and sisters in christ you can ask some questions is the church really functioning as the church because the church is supposed to be that place where you know through christ you know those who were enemies were brought were brought together, and um, and so forth. And so I think there, the church does have something to offer uh, there. I'm not saying we always get it right by a long way, but I think it's a it's a unique calling that I think the church has to be that place where look, you can be the most left wing lefty, the most right wing righty, but if you are brothers and sisters in Christ, you are closer to your Christian brother and sister on the absolute other side of the political spectrum than you are to those <coughs> who join you every night, every weekend down the Labour club or the Conservative club or, mm-hmm. or whatever you hang out politically because you are united in Christ and culture seeks to divide us. I think Christians have got to find a way of being salt and light and showing how actually Christ can unite us.
0: Yeah. And that's wonderfully helpful. <clears throat> in, in I think it was a couple of elections ago, there was a survey done of, um, Evangelical Christians in the UK asking them how they intended to vote. And it's interesting that between the three major parties, um, there was, um, in England, there was basically a, a kind of three-way split, really. It was, it was fairly even. And that's quite helpful because you say, actually, therefore, hopefully, in a Christian community, we're going to be rubbing shoulders with people. Well, in, in days when we could rub shoulders with people, um, rubbing Zooms with people um, who have different political opinions. We'll see things in different ways. And that often enriches us, doesn't it? Because I know from conversations that I've had, it's engaging with people who have different political opinions that will hone my views, um, because I'll hear them hopefully expressed in their strongest form rather than their weakest form, um, and they will kind of mm. ask questions of me as well. So absolutely, being in that kind of community, and I guess that's a danger particularly exacerbated by COVID, that we're now kind of in little digital bubbles of you know echo chambers of our own making, as people have said, yeah. where we're just hearing our own views yeah. um, parroted. And I guess the danger for Christians that, mm. is that we then, go into sub-bubbles within the Christian community. So we kind of find Christians out who will have similar views of as as ourselves. And and that's not the church, is it? It's it's much broader than that.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting what uh, you're both saying about having, you know, surrounding yourselves with people of other perspectives. Obviously the reason I'm friends with Andy, of course, is to have a left-wing guardian reader you know, who's who's going to influence me with more liberal views. But, uh, you know, it's helpful to have that. I like to be uh, participating in that.
1: I don't know if that counts. It does does burn quite well. So there we go. (laughs) Um,
2: I was just going to say a couple of things on that, on um, the importance of um, scripture and context. And by that, I mean, in terms of, of, of scripture, I mean that we need to be open, perpetually open to what scripture says. And I think theologically as the church, we too often um, find our theological favourite bits or favourite ways of reading the text, which which mean that when we come across a passage that doesn't really fit our schema, whatever our theological or, or ecclesial position is, um, we just downgrade it or we put it on a shelf and say, well, that's not an important one, even though it might occur quite a lot more than we'd like it to. And if we had written the Bible, we might have airbrushed it out silently. Um the point of, of the let's say, the, you know, the Reformation was, uh, one of the great things about the Reformation was that it recovered um, the kind of reading of Scripture as a significant thing, not only for individuals, but for the church corporately. So that preaching is occurring, you know, by going through passages and saying, look, what does the text say? Let's be open to it. I know there's other things that come in with there, with interpretation of Scripture, but I still think that the, the, the fundamental element of trying to get to a place where the text is above us and is speaking authoritatively to us, rather than us saying, we want the text to say this, and so it will. That's just the same danger that we we encounter today with all of our um, approaches to it. Even in evangelical, good evangelical churches which say that they have a high view of Scripture can often do terrible things of just ignoring massive emphases within Scripture. So I think Christians and churches having a renewed approach to allowing Scripture to speak to them and challenge them is a key element in this. And the other thing I'd say about context would be it's difficult when if you, if people, people show agreement with a certain political position in a climate where that will be used for other purposes is, is a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether, whether we talk about cultural Marxism or whatever the kind of political view might be, or the kind of socio political view, um, we, it's difficult because when you're challenging opinions and when you're challenging ideas, you need to be aware of how they're being read and used by other people. That works for issues on the right as well as on the left. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that there is sort of a scope for amplifying certain parts of scripture at certain times for certain battles, as it were. And I think that's how scripture is supposed to, you know, function. It's got lots of different things to say um and you know we need to be open to what it needs to be saying now and that that also you know means we need to listen to the voice of the spirit as mm-hmm. a church as well in, in in how we make those emphases.
0: yeah it's an interesting reflection on that when we had the 500 year anniversary of the reformation recently um there were loads of conferences that were kind of you know preaching you know the five solas of the reformation which is great <laughs> and we want to affirm them and rejoice in them but in a weird way what we were doing is we were remembering how people 500 years ago were challenging the culture in which they lived and challenging the prevailing worldviews with these truths of scripture. Mm -hmm. But the irony was, in many ways, we weren't then thinking about how do we need to challenge our culture with the truths of scripture? It was just, let's go back to these five things that they were reiterating then and just keep reiterating them. And it was like almost we would become the opposite of what they had done in the Reformation. Like they were engaging the culture and speaking truth into it now we were just repeating truths that we've had for 500 years without any engagement with the culture and I guess my question then was to say okay but but what's the reformation that needs to happen now um what what are the truths that maybe we've been neglecting that we need to be speaking afresh into this situation without losing those things which of course we want to affirm and say amen to um but but to continue to engage Uh, because of course the reformation wasn't seen as a kind of we've done it now it was the whole idea of we have reformed and reforming we need to keep mm. on challenging and um, mm. the culture around us and i'm looking at the clock and we're nearly at uh, the end um but andy any oh, final words of wisdom yeah. dundee that you'd like to impart to our listeners before we finish
1: yeah i i suppose the i mean one the danger of this is it might open up a whole other can of worms but then we can <laughs> you know open that can in more detail in another. Is that a
2: pun on the Diet of worms um, for the Reformation or not?
1: <laughs> That's a remarkably clever link. The, fu- the, mo- the mo- funny thing is, as you said that, I found myself thinking, I bet someone like Aaron is going to make some link to exactly kind of that. So, oh,
0: good grief. I I'm Aaron on. was quicker on your puns than you were because. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah how that? did that even
1: work?
2: Yeah. Know, we're, in know, sync. we're in sync.
0: We were. We were, but th- never
1: mind. Um, where was I? Yes. I mean, all of this is interesting. That, you know, as we've talked over the last <coughs> half hour, the, the you know, the temptations and the challenges and so forth. I guess also, I suppose for me, being kind of wired evangelistically, as I know, you know, Michael, you are as well. I think it's good, just good to come and la- land on the fact that there are also massive opportunities, mm-hmm. of course, in, in culture. Because, of course, you know, culture is the air that we 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 move and breathe in. Uh, you know, all of our friends are are living and breathing in it as well. And yeah, there are parts of every culture, you know, 21st century Western culture that I look at as a Christian. And when I've sort of does my head in at times, I want to just sit in a corner and go, ah, in frustration, but also in all of it, because, you know, it's got human beings in the middle of it. It's built by human beings who bear the image of God and God loves culture enough to kind of step into the middle of it, you know, to make sure we're also thinking about, okay, where are the places where we can connect? Even when there are things that are a bit kind of like badass, crazy you know, how do we go okay, how do I start from there and then get to the gospel? Because I think that's the gospel imperative as well, is never to look at the culture and say, Oh, it's so bad, it's so it's so gone, it's so distant, it's so alien to the gospel, you know, it can just go rot. That that was never God's intention and God doesn't say that. I think just worth kind of thinking about that. And actually, you know, a book I've read a couple of times now and be really impressed with and I know and I certainly know Aaron's aware of it, and I'm sure Michael is too. I mean Dan Strange's little book plugged in uh mm-hmm. for folks who have come across it. You know, we won't go into it now, but it's it's a fantastic little book. And it is short. It's great. It's short. It's very readable. And it's a great book thinking about, you know, how we can particularly, I think, look at the things that people are yearning for in culture. Because even the even the unhelpful stories in culture are looking for something. You know, all of our all of what culture's got wrong around sexual intimate around sexuality right now. But the search for intimacy and connection that lies beneath that, that's something as Christians we go, well, yeah, that thread leads somewhere. And how do we yeah. connect that mm-hmm. to the true intimacy we're designed for and so on and so forth? And Dan's book, anyway, has re- really helped me, I think, even someone who's been doing this for years, encouraging me to go, even in the darkest corners of our culture, how can we find a way to do what Paul did in Acts mm-hmm. 17, at the, at the altar of the unknown God, and go, hey, you know, this, this thing over here that you're worshipping, this thing over here that you've built a bit of your culture around, yeah, you know, it's bonkers. But but there's something in it that we can start from and, and bridge to something bigger. So let's not be condemning culture as in a word mm-hmm. that we've said, I know we've been critical and stuff because obviously, you know, it's got human beings in it and God loves them tremendously.
0: Absolutely. And that's a help, doesn't it? We've, culture is, um, we'll have things that we want to affirm and things that we want to critique um, because it is, like you say, created for well, the people created in the image of God who can do things that reflect that. So even the most secular non-Christian culture will have aspects to it that we will want to affirm but they'll also because we're in a fallen world full of fallen people there'll be aspects that we want to critique and I guess particularly in the UK and in the West especially we'd also want to say we live in a culture that has been historically informed by the Christian faith as well so often people will be more Christian than they think and we want to again affirm that and help people to see where they are more Christian than they think Uh, but also Uh, critique it so it's a great place to finish as we think about uh, culture I guess we've um, opened quite a few cans of uh, worms in that one and we may come and revisit some of those different topics that we've looked at over the course of the last half an hour or so um, in future episodes Um, so if you'd like us to do that then do get in touch and let us know um, if there are particular issues Um, we can't promise that we'll respond to them all um, but we'd happily uh, consider certain stuff in the future but thanks for being with us and uh, we'll see you again bye for now